John chapter 6, verse 1 to 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples, with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Thank you so much for reading for us, Jesse. Um, keep that scripture passage open if you could, and you'll find space for notes um, on page four of the bulletin, as well as, well as a few questions to discuss over coffee afterwards. But uh, we're in, uh, I think it's our fourth week now in John. We're working from John chapter five, um, and we'll see how far we get. But uh, this morning, we're particularly thinking about um, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So before we do, let's uh, turn to the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this, uh, this wonderful miracle, uh, for the way that you displayed your power on earth. And Lord, we pray that as we consider it, and that you may powerfully work in our hearts, we pray that even as you fed that crowd uh, through, uh, through physical uh, bread and fish, that Lord, you might feed us through your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to, uh, to grow in our faith and understanding and trust in Christ, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Every now and again, something happens that offers a zinger of a sermon illustration. That kind of gives you some insight into the way I think about the world as a pastor. Uh, like our church picnic back in August, uh, let me tell you uh, what happened in case you weren't there. 
Uh, it has become something of a tradition to have fried chicken at our church picnics. We provide the fried chicken, you bring salad, sides, and desserts. And so the order was placed at a local grocery store, which shall go unnamed. In fact, I'm going to call it huge, the huge grocery store. <laughs> so uh, anyway, 240 pieces of chicken uh, were placed, uh, an order for 240 pieces of chicken were placed at Giant. Sorry, I mean, I mean huge, sorry. <laughs> And, uh, and then that Sunday afternoon, Buck Stecker went to pick them up. But it turns out the store had made a, a very small typographical error. Uh, they had dropped a zero. I suppose it was better than them adding a zero. That could have been a whole different problem. Uh, but 20, uh, 240 became 24. Uh, not quite enough chicken for everyone in the church. And uh, thankfully, the church lunch was saved by Amanda's quick thinking, as well as the dedicated team at Domino's Pizza. Uh, but it turns out it did not take long at all for me to cash in on that illustration. Uh, what better way to introduce the passage that's before us today? Uh, Jesus and his disciples find themselves in a similar position, although a situation that is far worse. Uh, they might have been thankful for 24 pieces of chicken. All they had were a few small loaves and fish to feed a massive crowd of over 5,000 people. Uh, and in this, we get a picture, not of a stressful church lunch, but rather a picture of humanity's situation. Uh, we all have a very great need, a fundamental need. Uh, but it's a need that we cannot meet ourselves. Uh, a need that is so utterly beyond our own resources. Uh, and that is really what the feeding of the 5,000 is all about. It highlights our abject poverty. But at the same time, it, it demonstrates Jesus' abundant provision. Uh, Jesus alone can meet the greatest needs of the world. Uh, just as he met the needs of that great crowd, he can meet the needs of, of this smaller crowd here gathered on Sunday morning, and he can meet the needs of, of everyone, everyone around us. And to help us see that, uh, I want to draw out two main things. Uh, firstly, I want, to, I want us to look at the miracle of God's supply, the miracle of God's supply. But we see that in verses 5 through 13. And then secondly, I want us to think about that miracle, and I want us to look at the message of God's salvation, the message of God's salvation. Uh, that, is, that is the meaning of that miracle, and, and that message should become clear as we consider uh, the verses that surround the miracle, verses 1 through 4, as well as uh, verses 14 through 21. Now, for the first point, the miracle of God's supply, I want to highlight two things. In fact, the two things that I mentioned uh, just a moment ago. Uh, here we see our abject poverty, uh, but Jesus' abundant provision. Uh, our abject poverty, but Jesus' abundant provision. In fact, those are the first two subpoints under that heading, the miracle, uh, the miracle of God's supply, just in case you're, you're taking notes. Uh, the miracle draws out these two things. Firstly, let's look at our abject poverty, or we could say our absolute poverty. Uh, by this, I mean that the context of this miracle highlights our lack of resources, in fact, the miracle is only necessary for this reason and this reason alone. There was just not enough food to go around. Our supply didn't meet demand. Uh, why? Well, firstly, because the, the demand was so huge, but also because the supply was so meager. And now, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is, is one of the only miracles that occurs in all four of the Gospels. And the way John tells the story especially seems to, to draw this out, this dimension of our poverty. And we see this in the dialogue that Jesus has with Philip. Look down at verse 5 
Uh, John chapter five, uh, 6, verse 5, with me. Uh, lifting up his eyes, Jesus Christ lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, uh, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Uh, now verse 6 goes on to tell us this was a test. I mean, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, so, uh, so why then does he ask Philip this question? Well, it's not to inform Jesus as if he didn't know the answer. In fact, it's to inform Philip, it's to, to instruct the other disciples. It is to help draw out their own fears and doubts and to help them make a proper assessment of their own situation. And listen, really as an aside, this is something we can say about the whole of life. I mean, think about life right now, perhaps a challenge that you face. I mean, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to meet your need. And yet, one of the very things that God does often amid these challenges is to test us, not in some cruel and vindictive way, but to draw us out, to, to call us to examine our hearts, to expose our self-reliance and help us rely on him. And then, just as with the disciples, he often acts to strengthen our faith, just as he does with this miracle. And so then, we find this is a test for Philip and for the disciples, and we have to say it, it's a test they fail, don't they? Look down at verse 7 with me. Look at Philip's response. In fact, in one sense, it's, we shouldn't be too hard on him because it, it makes sense, doesn't it? In verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. In other words, Philip is overwhelmed by the extent of the need. He looks at the crowd and he thinks, look, even if we had 200 days wages, roughly around $30,000 in today's money, even then, even then, everyone would just get a, a little taste, maybe like one of those little squares of bread that you get at communion. The need is just too great. And then, just to show that Philip uh, isn't alone, one of the other disciples chimes in there in verse 8. Uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are they for so many people? And now, if Philip is overwhelmed by the extent of the need, what of Andrew? Well, well he fixates on the scarcity of the resources. Five loaves and two fish. What is that for over 5,000 people? And in fact, the very loaves we're talking about highlights the point. In the words of uh, Jewish author Philo, uh, I love this quote. According to Philo, barley loaves are a foodstuff of somewhat doubtful merit. He goes on, they are suited for irrational animals and men in unhappy circumstances. And that really is a description of how uh, Philip and Andrew feel at the moment. Uh, and I have to say, I just love how relatable this is. Uh, together, Philip and Andrew do what most of us are tempted to do. I mean, think again about a challenge that you face, perhaps with your health, with your finances, with your family, with your work. Don't we often tend towards one of these two responses? Uh, like Philip, we feel overwhelmed at the extent of the need. Or else, like Andrew, we, we fixate on just how little we have to meet it. And in fact, just last week, we made an announcement, didn't we? Uh, we made an announcement that as a church, we are in the process of looking for a new building, a new place to meet. Now, I have to say, after that announcement, I was really encouraged by the response. A number of you came up to me and shared how, how excited you were, actually, how eager you were to discover what God had for us next. But at the same time, let's be honest, some of us... Uh, perhaps responded in a very similar way to Philip or Andrew. Uh, perhaps you think to yourself, uh, how is this going to work? I mean, think about the needs. Where are we going to find a sanctuary, uh, offices, classrooms for a growing church? 
or maybe you think about our own resources, I have to say, to be sure, we're much better off now than we were when we moved four years ago, aren't we? Uh, but spend a little bit of time on, on LoopNet or scan the commercial real estate, and you think to yourself, look, well, I know we have to move, but, but can we really afford it? Uh, we're confronted with a challenge. Do we have what we need? And, and really, the answer simply is no, isn't it? No, we don't. Uh, that's what the feeding of the 5,000 is intended to show. Uh, this really is the first point uh, to expose our abject poverty about how we don't have the resources we need in ourselves. Uh, but it's at this very point that Jesus shines. Uh, I mean, our, our abject poverty gives way to his abundant provision. And that's the second point under this main heading, the miracle of God's supply. Uh, and this is what the miracle is all about. I mean, Jesus isn't swayed by Debbie Downers like Philip and Andrew. Uh, no, for him, the very situation about which they complain becomes a, a great opportunity. Uh, an opportunity to show his glory, to reveal his power. Uh, an opportunity to, for him to meet our need. Uh, I mean, look at verse 10 and, and see how the story continues. It's, it's familiar, but let, let's read uh, what it says here in verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, just as an aside, really the mark of an eyewitness, isn't it? And so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Uh, and Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distrib distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, and then it says this, as much as they wanted. And now this is incredible, isn't it? I mean, everyone doesn't just get one of those little communion cubes. No, they ate until they were full. They, they, they stuffed themselves. They, they, they were satisfied by what they ate. And even more incredible is this. In verse, uh, verses 11 through 12, Jesus tells the disciples to pick up the scraps. And what they end up with are 12 baskets full of leftovers, which isn't only more than they started with. It's probably even enough to feed a small village. I mean, imagine the church picnic if it had played out like this. Imagine Booker showed up with 24 pieces of chicken and then we didn't order pizza or anything. We just prayed, we handed out the chicken and then at the end you open the box and well, there's 240 pieces left. How would that work? And that really is nothing compared to what we see in John 6, is it? I mean, this truly is an amazing miracle. Uh, so much so that over the years, people have done their best to try and explain it away. I mean, maybe you've heard this before, but for a, a couple of centuries, people have come up with some sort of alternate explanation. Uh, and listen, what I'm about to tell you isn't made up. Serious, intelligent, scholarly people believe, uh, or maybe even still believe, what I'm about to say. Uh, what some people argue is this. They say, look, there must have been plenty of food. Almost everyone there must have brought a packed lunch with them. And this is the great miracle, the great mighty work of God. The generosity of this young boy persuaded everyone to share their food with one another. And that way, everyone who forgot their lunch had plenty to eat. Uh, now, as I said, serious intellectual people apparently believe this. Uh, but as far as I can tell, with all due respect, it's probably the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in 42 years of life. I mean, seriously, if that is what happened, why was it worth writing about? I mean, it happens every day at school. Here, you can have my sandwich if I can have your apple. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it only actually encompasses, it explains the blindness that we described last week. I mean, look, after this, if Jesus had just encouraged people to share their lunch, I mean, why do they come to make him king by force? I mean, what are they thinking? Wow, we need somebody like this to, to encourage us to share. I mean, 
No, they saw what happened, and they saw the other signs as well. And say they knew the power of God was at work, didn't they? Uh, This is a miracle. That is the point. It is a miracle of Christ's abundant provision. He doesn't just meet the people's needs. No, he exceeds them, doesn't he? Through his own power, he does more than they could possibly have asked for, more than they could possibly have imagined. Uh, And listen, we have experienced this. You've experienced this. Uh, I mean, think about what God has done in your life. Uh, Think about what God has done for us even as a church. I mean, it's a very, it's a small thing by comparison, isn't it? But four years ago, we were were looking for a place to meet. uh, And I have to say, things look pretty bleak. Uh, Then God provided something better than we expected. Uh, He has more than met our needs. And now as we're in this position again, we can trust God to provide again. Uh, And and what is true of of us as a church is true of you as an individual. It's true of your family. Uh, God is able to provide for you as well. Uh, God is able to provide abundantly. Uh, And so this really is the point of the miracle. Uh, To help us see these two things. As Jesus feeds the 5,000, we're driven to see our own abject poverty, our lack of resources. Uh, but we're also drawn to see how Jesus abundantly provides. He is the one who can meet our needs. And that is the miracle itself, the miracle of God's supply. But, but what does this mean in practical terms? And so let's move on to consider the message of God's salvation, the message of God's salvation. And now we've already begun to expand on this already, haven't we? In, in, in the way I've been speaking, I've been trying to help you see that, that this is a message for us. This isn't just about how Jesus met the needs of this crowd. It's about how he can meet our needs. And this isn't just about how Jesus fed them. It's about how Jesus can provide for us today. Uh, but I think we need to sharpen that a little bit more. What exactly do we mean by that? I mean, Jesus' abundant provision, we could take that in, in several different directions, couldn't we? Uh, I mean, in this teaching, uh, we might see what often goes by the name of uh, prosperity. Uh, We speak at times about the prosperity gospel, which really is no gospel at all. But uh, we see this kind of teaching all around us, on the radio, on the TV, on the internet. Prosperity teaches that if only we trust in Jesus, then, then, then we'll have everything we need to make us happy. A nice house, a nice car, a better job. I mean, that certainly sounds like Jesus' abundant provision, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus will provide more than you need. Does that mean Jesus will give you what you want? Uh, We see our need, and then we come to Jesus, and all we have to do is name it and claim it. And now it's interesting. I think in some ways that was the approach of this gathered crowd, wasn't it? Uh, They wanted Jesus to meet their earthly needs. Uh, we're given a hint of that aren't we we're told why they were there in the first place Uh, look at verse 2 and you'll see what I mean John 6 verse 2 and a large crowd was following him why because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick Uh, the miracles were the big draw Uh, which is why at the end uh, the people really want more of the same Look at verse 14. How do the people respond uh, to what they saw? Well, well, if Jesus can do such amazing things, if he can meet our needs in such an amazing way, what should we do? Well, well, verse 14 tells us when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet uh, who has come into the world. Now, in one sense, that's a great response. Uh, we'll see in a moment how uh, Jesus truly is the prophet, how everything he does actually echoes uh, the prophet Moses. But look at what they seek to do. Verse 15, it tells us they, they uh, sought to make Jesus king by force. I mean, it's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? How do you make someone king by force? I mean, 
you're kind of acting like the king, aren't you? You're acting like the one who controls them. Uh, Notice how what they do isn't quite right. I mean, Jesus himself escapes and heads for the hills. He knows what's motivating this crowd. He knows why they're there, not for him, not to submit to his rule, but rather to get, get him on board with their agenda. And listen, this is the way that so many people seem to approach Jesus Christ. And I think we can say it's not just the prosperity teachers. They see Jesus Christ doing amazing things back then or even today, and they think, look, we need this guy on our side. We need to somehow make him king. And the desire is not to bow the knee to him. No, the goal is actually to get him on side, to do our bidding. And this really is the big problem of the prosperity gospel movement. It's not about seriously following Christ. In fact, it's about enlisting the power of Christ to follow my dreams. And so the crowd gets it wrong, and the prosperity teachers get it wrong today. And so which leads us to the question, what is the message? How does all of this apply to me? Well, I want to suggest the key is to see how John himself frames this miracle. Because from beginning to end, John wants us to have the Old Testament background in mind. Uh, At the end of chapter 5, he's just told us, Jesus has just told us that Moses, when he wrote the Old Testament, uh, was writing about him. Uh, And now we get a sense of what that means, uh, because from beginning to end, this story has echoes of the Exodus. Uh, Think about all of the echoes of the Exodus. Uh, I mean, almost every single thing here in John 6 should be ringing bells if you're familiar with the story of Exodus. Uh, I mean, the passage starts with Jesus crossing the sea. And then there is this huge crowd, and and why are they there? Well, they're there because of mighty signs, just like the mighty signs God performed in Egypt. And then Jesus goes up a mountain. I mean, it's just like Sinai, isn't it? And then there are other things as well. Then, In fact, this lack of bread presents a test for Jesus' disciples, just as it was a test for Israel in the wilderness. And then, of course, I think the biggest link is, is two phrases that we read in our text. I mean, the whole story is, is bracketed by two incredible statements. The first is there in verse 4. It just seems kind of unnecessary, but we're told in verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And then we're told there in verse 20. Uh, we're not going to talk much about Jesus walking on the water, but see what, what Jesus says in verse 20. It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, Jesus Christ, is is claiming the very name of God. I am here, he says, do not be afraid. I mean, the Passover is at hand. It is I, do not be afraid. All of this suggests for us, Jesus is doing much more than simply providing lunch for people. I know, I mean, think about the Passover especially. The feast of the Jews. The Passover is at hand. What What a pregnant phrase. I mean, the Passover is, is the national feast of Israel. I mean, every nation has its own special national holidays. And over the years, thanks to Hallmark, they've, they've multiplied, haven't they? Uh, for example, did you know that today is National Badger Day? And if you aren't sure what to have for dinner, it's also National Noodle Day as well. Uh, thankfully, most holidays are much more significant than that. Uh, it, it pains me to say that On July 4th, you celebrate a pivotal moment in both British and American history. Uh, But as well as looking forward, uh, sorry, as well as looking backwards, holidays also look forward, don't they? As we reflect on the past, we also reflect on our deepest hopes and aspirations. I mean, July 4th isn't just about the past, is it? It's about uh, that great American hope, a hope of true liberty, of justice, of freedom. 
holidays look back, but they also look forward. And, and nowhere is this more true than when it comes to the Passover, basically the July 4th of Israel. It celebrated their liberation, how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt through mighty signs and miraculous provision. God led them out. He brought them to Sinai, and, and there he made his covenant with them. Our Passover looked back on those events, on the time when God came to save, but it also looked forward as well. When you read the Old Testament prophets, you realize the Exodus is a common picture, not of God's mighty deeds in the past, but rather a picture of what God will do in the future. You see, according to the Bible, all of humanity needs an Exodus. All of humanity is oppressed, not, not under Pharaoh, but under sin. All of us are under the power of darkness. We have turned our backs on God. We have become slaves to sin. Like Pharaoh, sin and death are always looming over us. And we experience this today in so many ways. I mean, the world is a mess. Society is a mess. Our own lives are a mess as well. There are wars, famines, earthquakes. There is sickness, sadness, never mind countless broken relationships. And when we look at these things, maybe we feel a bit like Philip or maybe a bit like Andrew as well. We're all aware of the extent of the need. And based on thousand years of human experience, we have to say that, that our resources are not equal to the challenge. History itself demonstrates our, our abject poverty. Uh, we don't have the resources to solve our biggest problems. And so what we need, what you need, what the world needs is to be rescued. Uh, what we really need is another far greater exodus. And that is what the Passover was really all about. Uh, looking forward to a time when God will come. And what does this have to do with our text? Why do we uh, relate this to Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and, and a few fish? Uh, what does this have to do with Jesus walking on water to his disciples? Uh, well, this is the point. Not simply that Jesus can do some amazing things. And not simply even that Jesus can meet our earthly needs. Uh, no, the point is this, that Jesus is God who has come to rescue humanity from our sins. The point of this story is not that Jesus can feed us, it's that Jesus came to save the world, that he came to rescue sinners like us from the fate that we deserve, that he came to free us from oppression to sin, that he came to save us from death, eternal death, that he came to bring us life, eternal life that we could never earn. He came to restore us to God, to restore us to the purpose for which we were made. I mean, look, I would love to promise you that God is going to heal you of your sickness. I would love to tell you that God can fix your marriage, that he'll, he'll provide you a better job, that this year will be better than next year financially. I'd love to say, based on this miracle, that God will provide our church with a perfect space, a perfect location, a huge sanctuary, and many sunny classrooms as well. All dirt cheap. But I can't promise that. I can't reassure you of those things. Because ultimately, that's not what this passage is about, is it? It's not what John's gospel is about. It is not the point of this feeding miracle. That's not what the Bible means when it shows us our poverty and Jesus' provision. It isn't telling us that we can expect all of these things in this life. I mean, put yourself in Israel's shoes for a moment. And consider their situation before the Exodus. They were slaves in Egypt what did they want God to do for them? I mean, if they'd had a chance, maybe they would have said what they really want is a better government, 
maybe more just rules that protected them. And they might have wanted the same opportunities for their own children as, as the Egyptian children had. had. The same chance to apply for some of Egypt's most prestigious colleges and schools. And maybe they would have been happy in Egypt with just a few small changes. Uh, and we might say the same thing. I mean, I mean, we aren't asking a lot, are we? If only we had enough money to meet our needs and perhaps a little bit extra to enjoy. If only we had a slightly nicer house or at least an upgrade to that old kitchen. If only my wife respected me some more. If only I was loved more deeply by my husband. If only I had a husband or a wife in the first place. Or if only my work was a better fit. If only my boss showed me more respect. If only my health was restored. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, but I just want things to be heading in the right direction. I mean, the list goes on and on of things that we want in this life. Uh, Things that we are sure will make us happy. Things that will make life at least a little bit more tolerable than it is right now. That's no doubt what Israel wanted. But then, then what did God do? Well, God showed up. He, I, I'm bringing you out of Egypt, God said. Never mind better food. Never mind equal opportunities or anything like that. Rather, with signs and wonders and mighty plagues, I'm bringing you home. I'm bringing you back to me. I'm bringing you home to a promised land, a land you can even dream of. Uh, far greater than than any of the hopes that you have back in Egypt. And so it is with Jesus Christ. He came not to bring earthly prosperity. Uh, No, he came to bring actually a new and better Passover than Israel ever experienced. You see, all of our small needs point to the biggest need of all. Uh, This big need is more fundamental than our need for food or water or clothing or shelter. It's deeper than I need to feel safe or to be loved or to belong. It's deeper than than I need for a sense of purpose or meaning. What all of us need more than anything is to be brought back to God. We need to be brought home. We need to be taken to the true promised land. And it's before this need that we need to know our abject poverty. We need to know that we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing we can do. The need is too great and the supplies are too sparse. And we need to know that only Christ can, be, uh, only Christ can abundantly provide. Uh, only Christ uh, can achieve our salvation. Uh, and this is the good news. This is the message of John chapter 6. Uh, the new and better Passover is at hand. Uh, Jesus has come to save the world. He will do this through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Uh, And it includes these words, it is I, do not be afraid. Uh, We don't have to fear anything anymore now that God in Christ has come to the rescue. I don't know exactly where you're at in life right now. I don't know what you want from life. Uh, But I know this, I know that whatever you want is far less than God has already done for you. He has sent his son to live and die for us. He sent his son to, uh, to achieve for us a future that we couldn't possibly imagine. And so come to him. Recognize your poverty before him. And trust in him to abundantly provide for you. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, so much for this great picture of Jesus Christ. Um, feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. And as we think about ourselves, even, even our earthly lives, we, we see our uh, great need and we see our own poverty. 
Uh, but as we think about that great need we have to be restored to you, to be reconciled to you, we recognize that we have nothing in ourselves. And so we come to you with empty hands and we thank you that, that Jesus Christ, the great Savior, has come. Uh, we thank you that, God, you have come to the rescue. And we pray, Lord, uh, for each one of us, we pray that you would move in our hearts. Help us to understand these things. Help us to see our own need, but help us to see the great Savior. And we pray all of these things for his glory and his name. Amen.